Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and we have a very tech-driven kind of show today. First up, we have our weekly tech panel featuring Ali Pordad from Progressa and Linda Fawkes from Glue Technology Society. We're going to be talking about the Google walkout over sexual misconduct, as well as, I guess, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Big story going on. And we'll have an update on Amazon's quest for an HQ2 and whether it actually is an HQ2, in fact. Then a little later on, Innovate BC's William Johnson discusses the upcoming BC Tech Summit. This comes in the wake of the announcement of its first two keynote speakers. And we're also going to talk about what this tech summit means for Western Canada. It's one of the largest events that you'll see in this side of the country. One last note, BIV's Business Excellence Series hits Vancouver Club this week, November 8th. Our expert panel will talk specifics on strategic wealth management at each stage and each level, aiming to arm you with a game plan to build your personal prosperity. Go to, BIV, go to BIV.com slash events for more details. Now, here's the show. Joining us today on the BIV Tech panel, it is Ali Pordad, CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fawkes. She's a CEO of Glue Technology Society. Ali, Linda, great to have you guys both back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start off with, I think, one of the biggest things that has happened in the last week, but the mass Google walkouts that was sparked by a lot of those sexual misconduct allegations that have been floating through the company. And I think the response from the CEO, Sundar Pichai, was very interesting. He said, we didn't always do it right. The, the implication there was that it's something in the past. And I think that actually rankled a lot of people. But from your perspective, Linda, does Google and other technology companies, are they catching on to why this is such a big deal? Or do you think there's still a bit of a, I don't know, a obtuseness to the way that these companies are responding and dealing with this? I think uh, with respect to Google, the company that wants to make moonshots part of its everyday life, they're catching on a little slowly, Right, I think. Yeah, no, it's not a super impressive uh, quick ramp up to the knowledge that they have to have some kind of equity in the workplace. They need to have these things in place like anonymous um, reporting of sexual harassment. How is that not a thing? Right. It's it's slow. It's slow to move. This seems very reactive to me as as, as absolutely most reactive, things yeah. uh, that I'm seeing coming out of Silicon Valley and uh, yeah. and the States right now. It's just a it's a it's a sign of the times. Maybe it's just, you know, it's a tone from the top thing. You know, the president is sort of like this. The corporations are not are not making any serious, um, serious moves themselves. It just seems to be sort of prevalent across a wide range of industries. And we're having the conversation because the workers are taking it on them on their own shoulders to make this uh, a topic of public conversation. It's not coming down from the top, which is yeah, that's a good point. incredibly disappointing. Well, I, and I have to admit, um, I, I was taken a little aback by how prevalent this was across the globe in, uh, I think, like 50 countries, 70 different offices, thousands of workers. Uh, to me, that spells that Google actually has a major problem or else they're not dealing with it in a way that is satisfying any of the employees if it, it's that widespread. Well, 20,000 employees out of almost 100,000, that's an impressive number to walk off. And the women that you heard interviewed, 
uh, were saying, well, yes, this is part of our workplace. I've been here for seven years and I've been harassed multiple times. And now maybe I have a way of creating a workplace that's safer and better for my sisters in arms. Uh, but the, they talk about these situations as if it's an absolutely normal course of events in technology. Yeah, I, I hope we're not this is not a topic of conversation in 2019. Right. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I hope that, uh, you know, next year we're talking about these companies' uh, successes and uh, new products and innovations and less about sexual harassment and the things that are happening. It seem, seems to be every single day coming out of uh, these large corporations this year. If I had a young daughter, it would be a very difficult conversation to convince her why she would have to work so hard to get the uh, post-secondary education to allow her in the door at these places. Like, why would I do that, mom? <laughs> it's probably a good question out of some young women right now. I, I wonder if there's anything that comes out of it, though. I, I wonder if other technology companies will see, oh, this is happening at Google. What do we do to make sure it's not going to be happening going forward, especially at a lot of these maybe early stage companies where they're developing the corporate culture and it's still in its infancy right now? I think all these companies have an opportunity to do that, Tyler. It's a great point, uh, especially the younger companies that are, you know, earlier in the process and building their teams and their cultures for the first time. They can get it right. There's still lots of time to do so. Um, and, you know, but that that's going to take a few years for us to, to see. You know, it's not something we're going to see overnight. And I just hope that the big companies can start leading by example because they're the ones that are we're talking about all the time. And we need the pool of women to be growing so that there's a pool of people to hire from. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the other very concerning things that uh, we've been following this past week is with regards to the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. Um, the alleged uh, perpetrator of this, uh, he was using a social network known as Gab, uh, may not be familiar with a lot of people because this is essentially catering towards a lot of people that they, they say that they're very much in favor of free speech, but a lot of them don't want to abide by, say, terms and conditions that you would find on other social media sites like Facebook and Twitter. What I'm getting at here really is uh, there was a big alt-right contingent, a lot of uh, right-wing and people with call it hate speech going on here. And Gab was really catering towards this. And well, I mean, they, they were booted off their server for about a week and uh, they've just made a return. And from your perspective, Ali, is this a matter of free speech? Are, are we getting into a, a very difficult kind of philosophical debate about technology and the world at large? If we're wondering, you know, should anybody have the right to say anything to the point where I mean, you're fostering just a lot of like repugnant views? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that question is debatable. People uh, people will be able to argue both sides successfully. I'm sure. I think the harder question is how do we how do companies do anything about this? So companies like GoDaddy, who are the domain domain providers of a company like Gab, you know, how how do they sort of pick and choose? who they're going to uh, allow to uh, run these websites. And so I think that's that's actually a much trickier conversation and a trickier decision for these companies to make. Well, in Cloudflare saying we're going to kick off the Daily Stormer and then mm -hmm. now saying, okay, that was a bad call. We're never going to kick anyone off again. Yeah. Right. We're going to protect everybody, Gab included. So do these conversations have to happen at multiple levels within the infrastructure, which they're sort of doing, PayPal, Stripe, uh, Google, GoDaddy saying, all right, you guys are out. You can't be on our platform. 
Um, but I worry that we're going to just push these people farther down into the dark web. They're on the surface net right now, right? We can find them. They can be uh, indexed by Google in a search. And what's why wouldn't they just go away from the surface net and get away from all of this harassment from us free speech people and from us people who want a normal world to live in and just go hide in the dark net and live there? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. If you... Uh... If you um, stop them, <laughs> they're going to certainly mm-hmm. go and, and uh, have the conversation elsewhere. But and free speech in the modern age, what does that look like? That's a very complicated question. But, and there's also been a, a, a very slow, very, very slow reckoning of sorts with big giants like uh, Facebook and, and Twitter's being even slower in this regard. But you look at what happened with, say, the 2016 election and uh, in the United States, and you see that a lot of people are being influenced by bad actors, like literally, you know, like Russian spies or not spies, but uh, Russian operatives here. I, I, I just wonder how much responsibility companies actually think they have in these situations where just because to quote, you know, uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And I think Gab is like, well, yeah, we we can create a platform where people can come and say anything that they want all in the name of free speech. Does that mean that that it's not going to foster and lead to very troublesome things, though? And that's very concerning for a lot of people. You know, I, I think uh, Facebook, Facebook probably when they came to market many, many years ago, thought that they would be this medium. And over time, uh, quickly realized that they had a responsibility. And uh, even in the last, you know, 12, 24 months, they've, whether it was uh, a consequence of their actions or whether it was a consequence of what happened in the election, they, they do have people curating the content now and flagging the content and letting you know if it's fake news versus or what the source is of the content. So they've taken the onus, uh, the responsibility on and uh, are keeping the public informed. I would argue Gap probably has that same responsibility. It's their platform. They're, they're opening up uh, their medium to, uh, to this free speech. So they should regulate it. And I, I agree with the doctor from Jurassic Park. I'm not sure we should create it. I think that the amplification these platforms give these voices is incredibly disturbing. We're not standing in a town square anymore in a soapbox reaching maybe 50 or 100 people. These right. are millions of people being galvanized within these echo chambers of conversation that is not creating a healthy society for us. So guys, um, I'll make a clumsy segue to maybe a lighter topic here, but uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 just came out on the scene. I made, I think, $750 million in its opening week. Wow. I have to admit, I, I, I have not been a big gamer for, I, I think, uh, Call of Duty Mar- Modern Warfare 2. As soon as I saw that my much younger brothers were able to just kick my butt, <laughs> that I kind of gave up on gaming. I was never all that great in the first place. But there's interesting in that with, with all the hype going on in the game, there, there's some very interesting comments from the head of the company who's talking about how people are just doing, you know, unbelievable amounts of overtime work to get this done. And I, I think he was doing it to praise the team, but people will bring up the fact that, well, some of these situations can be kind of exploitative within the gaming industry. I'm wondering if we find a, a, a way in which employees are able to kind of push back to a certain degree or... Does that just mean to the hiring manager, whoever, that they're going to kind of get a bit of a red mark on their resume? Where do we find some middle ground here with regards to a lot of the expectations and workplace culture, Linda? I think if you're an employee in the gaming industry, it shouldn't 
be a surprise to you that there's going to be crunch times and you're going to work 100-hour weeks occasionally. That's been part of that industry since it started. Um, but I also believe we're at a time, a transformative time in technology uh, when workers are deciding their rights need to be better respected and workplace environments need to be um, uh, happier to spend time in. <laughs> we need to, you know, sexual harassment is the same on the same principle here. So we don't want to exploit our workers. I do find it interesting we managed to unionize the film industry and create profitable uh, movies and, and uh, companies out of the film industry. Is gaming going that way? Are they going to unionize? And if they are, then it's going to be the employees in the transition that pay the price because that's not going to be a top-down decision, I don't believe. Yeah, I, well, I don't know that every um, film company is is thriving under the the, the union standards but uh, i would i would uh i would say probably it's early days for gaming to go in that direction uh, it's much much uh sort of earlier industry relative to the movie industry yeah and unions don't seem to make these environments thrive and non-union <laughs> environments aren't thriving so where's the middle ground how yeah. are we going to find a balance yeah well i think the middle ground in, in in the case of red dead redemption and probably the broader gaming industry is just again going back to the earlier conversation about setting uh, setting the right tone and having the right uh, sort of culture and an organization i think uh, you know when red dead uh, or when the company that that created red dead um uh, is hiring they they got to be transparent with their employees around the crunch times and uh, and uh, and that will just become part of the expectation and and certainly i hope uh, with a 750 million dollar haul on their first weekend that the employees saw uh, the benefit of that financially, hopefully, you know, some of that money came back to the employees uh, as a success bonus. Well, it seems these hundred hour weeks and the crunch time within the employee base, it all gets wiped clean when the game is so successful. It's like it was all worth it. Look right. at how great our product is. Yeah. Okay, guys, I, I'm going to throw this at you uh, very last minute. Uh, don't feel bad if there's not much you can uh, say on this topic here. But uh, I just saw on uh, Twitter this morning before you guys came in that uh, there, there are reports that Amazon's HQ2 might not actually be an HQ2. It might actually be split into two different offices, which some people point out, isn't that just a branch office? That That's not actually like a, a second headquarters? What do you guys make of kind of this dance that, Amazon's been making, you know, cities across North America do for the past year plus at this point. You know, they have they're such a large organization that I'm I'm just not shocked by this at all. I I I imagine that there's, you know, every city is, you know, trying to promote themselves and and trying to throw everything they can at Amazon. They're just trying to probably just try to make it easier on themselves by not having to make the hard decision. That's my guess. I find it disturbing that towns and cities are willing to rename themselves to yeah. land the contract. I'm not sure that's You're offering healthy. them everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just, I'm not surprised. Uh, it sounded like a really hard decision and probably maybe an impossible decision when, when they went out and sort of did their cross-country tour. Actually, cross nation, I guess it was cross-North America tour. They came up to Canada as well. They did. And I, it sounds like they're looking at two... Uh, U.S. locations. Yeah, yeah Virginia well, and, and New York, right? They, they definitely wanted something on the East Coast based on the shortlist that we saw come out earlier this year, which Vancouver was, did not make it on the shortlist, but Toronto did as, as the lone Canadian city. But I, I think other than Los Angeles, I don't think there are any other West Coast cities that made it onto the shortlist. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's uh, there's political uh, elections coming up. Uh, I'm sure these states were lobbying very, very hard very hard for Amazon, probably offering tax incentives, uh, among other things. Uh, tax-free for decades in some yeah. exactly, towns. Exactly, yeah. to make it uh, 
just uh, you know a no-brainer for them. I'm sure that's that's ultimately where they're going to land. It's I'll, one of those cities. I'll throw this at you guys as well, but I'm wondering, it, was Amazon asking something that, and I think you alluded to this, Ali, but was Amazon asking for something impossible? If you look at how Amazon's essentially kind of engulfed Seattle, it's actually kind of too much Amazon in Seattle is what some people would say at this point. But if you look at what they're asking for, I, I wonder if it was almost impossible for any city, for any single city to actually give them what they wanted in terms of dedication of employees, as well as just pure office space. Uh, what are your thoughts, Linda? My thoughts are some of the places they were looking at, no tech worker would want to go live in. So that's a problem. Yeah, Because these aren't just massive only warehouses full of lower level employees and robots. These are actually very educated, sophisticated people who like New York and Seattle and other locations. So they don't want to live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And even the big cities that they were pursuing, I don't know, had the resources, the, the truly had the resources and the, the people there to support those organizations. They're looking for Portland and Seattle uh, of 30 years ago. That's right. tough yeah, to find. Exactly. Excellent. Guys, I want to thank both of you for joining us on the show today. Thank, thank you. you. That is Ali Pordat, CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fakas, CEO of Glue Technology Society. Stay with us. William Johnson from Innovate BC joins us after this. The BC Tech Summit returns to Vancouver next year, and this week, the Crown Agency organizing Western Canada's largest technology event has announced its keynote speakers. Joining us today, it is William Johnson. He is the Marketing and Communications Director at Innovate BC. William, great to talk to you once again. Tyler, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit. I, I noticed the names of the two keynote speakers. I'll let you spill the beans here. Tell us a little bit about the pair that you guys have landed coming up next year. Yeah, certainly. Do you mind if I go back and just talk about the summit and the theme this year? Kind absolutely, of yeah. Who these guys are. Yeah, absolutely. So again, for your listeners, if this is their first time hearing about the BC Tech Summit, it is one of Western Canada's largest technology events that happens annually, and it's hosted by Innovate BC, as well as the province of British Columbia. And really what the summit is here to do is to showcase the provinces, the vibrant tech sector, build opportunities for businesses, and to really demonstrate how technology affects every British Columbian in every part of the province. This is the fourth year we're doing it, and it's taking place next March 11th to 13th, 2019. And the theme this year is the reality revolution. So we're recognizing that everyday new realities are being introduced, and they're driven by uh, just incredible changes to the technological and global landscape here in BC and around the world. So tech is transforming key industries in BC, and we want people and businesses to understand how these new technologies um, can benefit them and how they can harness them for good. So we're talking AI, blockchain, VR, AR, quantum, right? So we're looking at what does it mean for people, their jobs, their lives? So the summit brings together experts and businesses uh, and, and the youth of tomorrow to really uh, share insights, experiences, and opportunities. So as Tyler mentioned, that we just announced two, uh, not all of the keynote speakers, just two of many keynote speakers that we're going to be talking about and announcing over the next few months. And so the first one is Eric O'Neill. So this is a really incredible guy. He has a really incredible story. He is a, an attorney, a former FBI counterterrorism uh, um, operative. And he is a cybersecurity expert. And for anyone who's seen the movie uh, Breach, it's really based off of his life. And so 
uh, almost 20 years ago, actually, Eric helped capture the most notorious spy in the United States history, Robert Hansen. This was a Russian that had infiltrated the U.S. Um, CIA, essentially. And so Eric is actually a cybersecurity expert, and he's going to be delving into basically how people and organizations can take advantage of this era of big data and innovation, but while also protecting themselves from the security vulnerabilities of a digitally interconnected world. And I think he's going to be pretty incredible, and he has a really incredible story. I think people will be really excited to hear. Yeah, I, I think, William, if you get anybody talking about like spycraft, you're going to grab the audience's attention immediately, right? Exactly. Unless you've been living under a rock, Tyler. <laughs> um, these issues are really at the forefront of the conversations uh, in the news today, right? Especially when we're talking about elections and we're talking about Facebook and data breaches. Uh, it's just a, he's a, he's a really timely speaker and expert to be uh, addressing people in BC and, and the global attendees that come to the conference. Uh, but the other keynote speaker that we've announced uh, is Tan Lee. This is an incredible woman. She's an entrepreneur. She's an inventor. She's the CEO of a company called Emoto, and they are a cutting edge brain research company. And what they've done, among many other things, is, is develop technology that has um, enabled a quadriplegic, believe it or not, to drive a Formula One car using only his brain rays. Uh, so that's pretty incredible what they've been able to do um, to help people. And so Tan Lee, uh, she'll be coming. She's going to be talking about uh, her story, which again is from being a refugee to now being a, a tech and innovation leader. But she's also going to talk about how advanced technology can fundamentally improve the lives of people here in BC and around the world. So again, really this event is about how people and businesses can harness emerging technology uh, to improve their lives fundamentally. Uh, so we're really excited about that this year. So uh, with regards to Chan Lee, though, doing this amazing brain research that's going forward, do you think that really works with the reality revolution that you guys are pursuing here this year as, as the theme? Yeah, absolutely. Um, think, think about this, Tyra. Can you imagine driving a vehicle or doing anything um, where you're not using your, your hands or anything that in terms of operations or moving somewhere where you're absolutely, you're just thinking about it, right? And this is something that I think in the coming years is going to merge with some of the other texts I talked about, AR and VR, which is fundamentally, again, allowing us to experience new reality. So whereas you had to drive a vehicle using your hands and your arms, um, now you can drive a vehicle just using your brainwaves and your thoughts. So it's a completely different reality. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Again, there are many other speakers that... Um, we haven't announced yet, but we're really excited to announce. So I encourage your listeners to um, go to bctechsummit.ca, sign up to make sure that they're getting updates about the upcoming speakers and the, the upcoming event. I, I feel as if we can control our cars with our brains coming up. It's not going to be long until we've got, you know, my, my iPhone controlled with my brain. We've got my coffee maker controlled with my brain. It's just kind of a mind bending, no pun intended, to think about a lot of the innovations that are upon us here in British Columbia. Yeah, certainly. Uh, tell me a little bit about this, because I, I've been able to attend every single year that's been going on. And I remember it started off in, you know, a, a smaller, still a sizable ballroom area over at the uh, convention center downtown. And just last year, you're there. It, it was just like the biggest space it could possibly uh, gather. Do you think the growth of this summit has, has really been kind of reflective of the growth we've seen just in the last few years of technology in general here in British Columbia? Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. Um, technology is everywhere. 
and it is affecting, again, every business and every citizen. I think if you look at the official BC SAS data, 2017 was the seventh consecutive year of growth for BC's technology sector, which I think for anyone who reads BIV or um, pays attention to tech news in British Columbia, you know the tech sector is growing and it's thriving. You know there are over 10,000 tech companies. You already know that there's over 100,000 people working in the tech sectors. Depending on how you count people in technical roles in other companies, that number can go up to 150,000. So the tech sector is thriving. And I think we've been able to evolve the event to basically evolve with BC tech sector and grow in, in pace with it. There are many exciting things happening in British Columbia. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. We have Apple opening a new downtown office. Tyler, you know Amazon's growth plans for Vancouver and British Columbia. General Fusion, which is a, a local Star Wars, Star Wars and just incredible company, doing really neat things with energy, just secured you know almost a $49 million investment from the federal government. As we speak, D-Wave, which Tyler, I know you know, um, is working on quantum computing. They're working with Volkswagen on intelligent traffic management projects, and they're actually presenting at Web Summit as we speak. Um, so there's some incredible things happening in BC's technology sector. And uh, a big goal of the event is to showcase um, that new innovation and, again, how it's affecting our lives. Well, one of the things that I can't help but notice is that every year I'll go and speak to a large variety of companies w- with regards to just the size, where they're at in their stage of development, you know, whether it's somebody from Global Relay, the, the CEO there, or else if it's somebody from, say, Carbon Engineering, who uh, they're a smaller company, but they're still doing very va- innovative stuff. What is the appeal of an event like this with regards to just the wide spectrum of companies? Why does it make sense for both a large company as well as a small company to be interested in what's going on here? Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, no matter what, that's a really good point you make, Tyler, that this event attracts companies from every size and in every sector and from every region in British Columbia. Let's take a step back. Innovate BC is a crown, but we serve the whole province and we connect BC's innovators to funding, resources, and support, no matter where they're from in the province and no matter what their size is. So when we look at the BC Tech Summit, we're absolutely trying to mirror that mandate where we're supporting companies at every stage of their business life cycle. So if you were a small company and you were looking to raise funds uh, for investment, we have an investment showcase where we have upwards of 150 to 200 investors every year who are a captive audience and who are eager to potentially invest in your startup company. If you are a larger company, and maybe it's not investment you need, but you're actually looking to buy technology or to create partnerships, we have business-to-business meetings, sorry, uh, where we'll actually connect you depending on your sector and your needs. And this year, we're actually switching it up a bit, but we're actually targeting some key sectors and some key industry problems we're going to have large technology buyers uh, actually pitching on stage and talking about what their big challenges are. So if you're a small or medium-sized company or a tech company of any size, you can hear exactly what the market is saying, what are the problems they're having, uh, and how you can solve them. So those are immediate customers for you if you potentially have a solution to those problems. We also have the huge marketplace. Uh, and for anyone who's been to the Tech Summit, you know this is just, a space that's absolutely buzzing with technology and innovation. And when you go into the marketplace, you're going to bump into 
senior government officials, you're going to bump into investors, you're going to bump into companies in every industry, from mining to forestry to agriculture to healthcare. You're going to bump into startups. You're going to bump into what's really important in the tech sector, uh, which is talent, developers, marketing folks, HR folks, anyone that can help you build your tech company. So just like you said, Tyler, this is an event that serves companies no matter what their size is, no matter what their industry is, no matter what their needs are. I think the other very important component here is how much outreach there is with regards to youth going on. Uh, every single year, there's always a big contingent of you know students coming in and talking about like high schoolers, not just university students. And I speak to a lot of the companies in the tech industry here in British Columbia, and they can't emphasize enough how important it is with regards to just making sure that they have a steady stream of talent coming out of schools. How important is this going forward with making sure that we are able to cultivate you know, young people into these right professions, making sure that they are able to fill the roles that are in high demand at this point in BC's tech economy? Hey, Tyler, you're absolutely right. When we think of what companies need, they're often talking about um, obviously, investment in funds, they're looking for new customers and new markets to access, but talent is a recurring thing. We can't say enough about talent. And a big part of the event, like you say, is the Youth Innovation Day, where we bring students from grades 10 to grades 12, thousands of them, to Vancouver, British Columbia, to the, the convention center to discover um, careers in technology. Maybe it's someone who's never thought about what a career in tech actually is. Maybe someone has, and they're really eager to learn about the local success stories. Yeah, maybe they've heard about global companies, and um, they don't know about the incredible innovation that's actually being homegrown right in the province of BC. And so not only is the Youth Innovation Day incredible, or sorry, really, really important, um, Innovate BC is an organization. We also spend a lot of time ensuring that we can connect technology companies to the talent they need. And we have a number of talent grants that help companies subsidize the cost of hiring students, whether it's a co-op student or just a general student uh, in the variety of um, courses. And so we work with basically every post-secondary institution across the province uh, for Innovate PC programs, but also to help execute Youth Innovation Day um, at the BC Tech Summit. So we're working with the post-secondary institutions, and they're also working with the actual school boards to make sure that we get representation from youth across the entire province. Well, excellent. Always an exciting time every single year that I've gone, and I can't wait to check out uh, it coming up in March. Uh, William, once again, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks a lot, Tyler. And I'll just add, for anyone listening, if you want to get involved, go to bctechsummit.ca. We sold out super early bird tickets in a week, there are early bird tickets available. And if you're interested in sponsoring or exhibiting or being involved at all, go to bctechsummit.ca and that's where you'll find all the important information. Oh, and I think that's also just a testament to how much people have gotten out of the previous summits as well, if you guys are able to sell out that quickly uh, with regards to the early birds there. But uh, William, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be talking to you and seeing you more in the coming months before the uh, summit happens. You definitely will. Thanks a lot, Tyler, for having me on. And that was William Johnson, Marketing and Communications Director at Innovate BC. And that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. And all our news stories are on BIV.com. We'll be back tomorrow. 